This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram and Facebook. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co host is my devoted service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject working dogs and working animals. And today, we're going to be shedding some light on a topic that can be uncomfortable for a lot of us to think and talk about, but not to worry, we have some experts with us today who are going to demystify some of the questions that businesses and nonprofit organizations may have about assistance dogs and other types of dogs, emotional support animals, therapy animals, and we're going to explore and explain those differences today. So I'm so excited to share with you that Shauna Aldal from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Denise Dumanil from the from two organizations from Assistance Dogs of the West and Community Against Violence. Um, they're both here today to talk with us about a really cool project that they just completed that created a model guideline for domestic violence programs and shelters about how to serve individuals with service animals and emotional support animals. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Shauna Aldal and Denise Dumanil to the show. If you've ever shared your home and heart with a charmingly naughty animal who's always up to mischief, you'll fall in love with the Klepto Kitty who stars in Talk to the Paw by Melinda Metz. Talk to the Paw is a funny, heartwarming novel about a single girl, a single guy, and MacGyver, an adorable tabby cat with a not-so-adorable habit of stealing from the neighbors. Talk to the Paw is on sale now everywhere books are sold. Visit kensingtonbooks.com for more info. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Hello, Shauna and Denise, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi, Marcy. Good morning. Yeah, we're so glad that you guys could be with us today to talk about this awesome project that Lovey and I were fortunate enough to participate in, where you guys brought a small group of folks together to create this amazing policy. And I want to tell our listeners, the policy is called Service Animals and Emotional Support Animals in Domestic Violence Programs and Shelters. And Shauna, I want to start out by asking you if you could tell our listeners about the coalition that you work for and why you guys were interested in this project and felt it was needed. Sure. We're the coalition here in New Mexico. Most states have a a coalition, a domestic violence coalition. And we are a coalition of domestic violence programs throughout the state, provide technical assistance to our programs, capacity building projects. We do technical assistance and we do some policy work 
So we do things more on a system-wide level. So we have a, a network of about 38 domestic violence programs throughout New Mexico. And so programs will often come to us when they're facing challenges in the community in regards to domestic violence. They'll come to us if they need technical assistance. And so we started getting a lot of feedback from our programs that there has been an increase over the past few years in individuals seeking services that have service animals, emotional support animals, and companion animals. Most shelters in New Mexico, most uh, domestic violence shelters in New Mexico do not provide on-site kenneling for animals. So as you can tell, or as you can see, this is obviously can, can pose some challenges in shelters. So people were, have needed some clarification on what the laws were, what the rights were of not only the program, but also of the clients that are accessing services. Um, and so we uh, applied for a grant through the Governor's Commission on Disabilities. It's a quality of life grant, and we partnered with Assistance Dogs of the West, and we were able to form a work group, as you said, Marcy, um, and we have developed, through this work group, we've been able to develop this model guidelines, which we will be distributing out to all of our programs. It's so wonderful that you guys took the leadership on this. It's so great. And so you mentioned the funding came from the New Mexico Commission on Disability, and it was a quality of life. And quality of life are grants through the Christopher Reeve Foundation, right? I do not know the answer to that question. That might be true. <laughs> I know the answer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's interesting. That's yeah, yeah. Something I did not know. <laughs> yeah, it actually comes from that wonderful foundation, the Christopher Ree Foundation. Yeah. Well, tell us, tell us, Shauna, how did you guys really get started? I mean, that's a pretty daunting task. So did you research other states and other model policies, or how did you really we get started? Started. We did. So we actually, through our domestic violence, a couple of our domestic violence programs that had reached out to us for assistance, had asked us, you know, how can we develop policies within our organization to help survivors that have companion animals and service animals? And so through a little bit of research, we found a model policy through the Washington Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Um, it's an excellent document. And so we used that do document. We adapted our document from their model policy, and we were able to develop a guideline specific to New Mexico and the laws in New Mexico. Oh, that's great. Well, Denise, you have such a, a unique role because you work both in the assistance dog world and the domestic violence victim services world. So tell us about your role in this project. Great. Yes, I have kind of the best role. I get the best of both worlds. So I'm a children's therapist at Community Against Violence, which is the domestic violence safe shelter and advocacy program serving northern New Mexico. We're a dual agency, so we also serve clients who have experienced sexual assault. And then the region's children's advocacy center is also co-located there. So I work there. And then I also work with Assistance Dogs of the West as an instructor trainer and have been able to, through both roles, kind of do animal-assisted therapy work at CAV with Assistance Dogs of the West's service dogs in training. And I have a facility service dog who is my co-therapist, Clark. So I got involved just through working with the coalition on other projects. Shauna was talking to me one day about how, you know, there was this need by the domestic violence programs in New Mexico to have 
have a better understanding of their rights and responsibilities regarding survivors either coming into shelter or not all of the programs have shelters. So even just coming in for advocacy services or counseling, just wanted to know more what their rights and responsibilities were regarding survivors with service animals or emotional support animals and also pets. And really with what I loved about working with the coalition and with you, Marcy, on this work group and our members is that we really looked at it through a lens of inclusion and accessibility. So rather than looking at all of the reasons or all of the ways that a shelter could not allow someone, a survivor to come in with their service animal or emotional support animal, we really wanted to take a a trauma-informed viewpoint of it and really look at how can we make this legal and safe for everyone and the most inclusive. Yeah, I love that approach. And I really love one of the things that is my favorite thing about the whole policy is, first of all, you guys made it really practical where there are questions and answers that people can easily access. But I love where you say it's good advocacy practice to believe survivors when they tell you the animal is a service animal. I just love that because it it really is so true that, you know, when someone has been victimized, they're dealing with with so many things and then to be challenged on their assistance animal just adds so many additional layers of pain and and frustration so I'm so glad that that you guys have really really put that out there and being clear about that in the policy that's awesome so Denise I want to ask you can domestic violence shelters actually deny someone services because they have a service animal and show up at their door with them No, they cannot. So what we did as part of this work group is, as Shauna mentioned, we took the Washington Coalition Against Domestic Violence model policy that they had developed, and it also needed updating. So it was developed before the latest addition to the Americans with Disability Act. But that act that we've we've now updated in our model guidelines is very clear as and so are the New Mexico state laws that you cannot deny services to someone that has a qualified service animal so long as the service animal meets that definition to make it a service animal so that means that it would be a dog or a miniature horse under 100 pounds. So a service animal needs to be one of those two animals and it needs to be trained to specifically perform at least one, often they do more, but at least one task that mitigates the disability of its handler. So so long as a survivor comes to services with an animal that meets that criteria, then a domestic violence shelter program cannot deny access. Perfect. Well, and tell us when somebody does show up at what can a domestic violence shelter or a business for that matter, what can they legally ask someone who's trying to bring their dog into their agency or place of business? And again, this is in the United States. What can they legally ask? So you're right. It's the same two questions that applies to nonprofits, including domestic violence shelters, as well as businesses, places of public access. And the two questions are, someone could ask, one, is that a service animal required for disability? If the person says yes to that, and if it's not obvious 
actually, I should say that that you can ask these questions if it is not already obvious that this animal is a service animal. So if the person says yes to that question, then the only other question that can be asked is what tasks does it perform? So you cannot ask what disability the person has, and you cannot ask to see a demonstration of the animal performing that task. So a survivor would just tell you what work the dog or miniature horse does to support them and mitigate the disability. In New Mexico, and this is why I think it's important that if there's other state coalitions, hopefully, that are listening to this and want to undertake this work for themselves, that looking at your state laws around these issues is also important because in New Mexico, the New Mexico Service Animal Act of 2013 also permits service dogs in training to have the same public access as fully working service dogs so long as the dog is with the person training them. So that is another another caveat to that, that in New Mexico, someone could explain that they are training this dog to be a service dog for disability, and then it also has public access. Perfect. And the laws that you are looking at, like you said, were the New Mexico, your state laws, which is so important. But it was really interesting looking at the Fair Housing Act, which is something that usually gets overlooked, I think, by a lot of people from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. So we're going to talk about that when we come back from our break, because that's really interesting. And I also want you guys to tell us more about the definitions. So let's Let's take a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors. And we're going to come back and continue visiting with Shauna and Denise about more specifics around this policy. So come right back. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. You know that feeling when you go to clean the litter box and it's a complete disaster? Yeah, we've got you covered. Introducing World's Best Cat Litter Zero Mess, the advanced litter that gives you two times better clumping and more odor control with less litter. Zero Mess combines the concentrated power of corn with super-absorbent plant fibers. Translation, scoop once and you're done. Find it at a pet store near you and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Shauna Aldal and Denise Dumaneal. And we're talking about the amazing policy that they just developed around service animals and emotional support animals in domestic violence programs and shelters. And before the break, we started talking, Denise, you were sharing with us about we sort of were talking, beginning to talk about the different types of animals and the laws that impact these dogs and miniature horses. And we started talking about the Fair Housing Act. But before 
before we get into that, I want to ask you, tell us a little bit, we, we need to know our definitions. So tell us, you told us about the definition of a service animal, that it's a dog or a miniature horse, and it has public access rights. But what's the definition, Denise, of an emotional support animal? That is a great question. The terms often get confused, but there are, like you said, distinct definitions and then different laws that apply to both. So an emotional support animal can be any animal type. So it's not limited to just dogs and miniature horses. It's any animal that provides a benefit to a person with a documented disability. An emotional support animal is not considered a service animal, but it does have privileges under the Fair Housing Act and also Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. So basically it has housing and some travel privileges. And our document, because we were tailoring this for domestic violence programs here in the state of New Mexico, we didn't get into the different travel, like the Air Carrier Access Act laws, but we focused more on the housing privileges that an emotional support animal does have under these laws. Yeah, and that's so important, that housing piece, because of domestic violence shelters offer temporary housing and other types of housing services. So tell us, do emotional support animals have public access rights, Denise? They do not have public access rights. So, and by public access, what we mean by that is a service animal is the only animal in the United States that has public access rights meaning it can go anywhere that the public can go with some minor restrictions like zoos. But there's a different set of privileges that emotional support animals have. But again, really, it it pertains to housing and some transportation privileges. They do not go to restaurants. They cannot go to grocery stores, hospitals without either getting special permission from those places or they don't have that kind of public access. Unlike a service animal, a handler with a service animal can access anywhere the public can with their animal without getting any special acceptance or approval firsthand. Thanks. Thanks for clarifying that. No, that's great. Thanks for clarifying that. And, you know, and I also want to talk about because for service animals, as you said, of course, they do have public access rights. And you mentioned those two questions that can be asked, but a big confusion that a lot of of service providers and businesses have is they are under the belief that there's some kind of certification and some kind of formal requirement for service animals. And it's so important to always really, really clarify that there's not, at least in the United States, there's not any kind of formal certification. And in fact, service animals don't even have to wear a vest. Although I always encourage people who have a service animal to make sure that they have a vest on it just makes their life so much easier if they can be identified that way and you can't ask for any kind of documentation about their disability as you said Denise but that's a little different with the emotional support animals right you can ask for some documentation can you tell us and explain that Denise Yes, you're right. Animals, and it it seems sometimes counterintuitive, right? The service animals are highly trained and they have public access. 
yet you cannot ask for documentation because it doesn't exist. The emotional support animals, however, they are not necessarily trained at all, and they're not trained to do tasks related to their person's disability, but you can ask for documentation for an emotional support animal, and what that would look like is it can be a letter from the treating medical or mental health provider of the handler of the emotional support animal. And that letter would verify that, yes, this person has a documented disability and that this treating provider is verifying that this animal provides emotional support to them that assists them in managing that disability. The letter does not need to and really shouldn't, for privacy reasons, say what the disability is but it it should be from someone who has been working with that person and really can verify those two things that yes they have a disability and yes this animal provides emotional support to them related to the disability awesome so we've talked about the definition of service animals and you gave us the definition of emotional support animals so now denise tell us What about therapy animals? How do you define a therapy animal and what kind of access do they have or not have? Great. So again, the terms can get really confusing. A therapy animal is a pet that somebody has that the person decides that they think this pet would be good to go visit other people and provide comfort, distraction, stress relief, those kinds of things, but it is a pet first. So major therapy animal organizations in the United States are Pet Partners and Therapy Dogs International are two of the big ones. So therapy animals would be, again, they can be any animal and they are pets first. They may have some level of basic training, like a dog may, you know, sit and down and that sort of thing, but it could also be a hamster that is not going to have any special training. But these animals go with their owner to pre-approved places that have already talked with the owner and said, yes, we want you to come by with your therapy animal to provide support to whoever we're serving. So if you think of common examples of therapy animals are dogs that go to schools and kids practice reading aloud to the dogs. They're common now in a lot of airports. I've seen miniature horses and llamas even in airports just providing some stress relief to travelers. They make visits in hospitals, that sort of thing. So what is important to know about therapy animals is that While they do important work, they are pets first and they are considered pets under the law. They are not trained to perform any specific task. Their owner does not need to have a disability, so they don't fit under service animal work or that definition. And while they provide emotional support to other people, they provide that to many other people rather than their handler with a disability. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that clarification. Well, and so Shauna, can you tell us then what is the definition of a companion animal? So a companion animal would be what most people would say is a pet. So it's an animal that provides companionship to an individual. 
that really clarifies it, you know, because there's so much confusion about these four types of animal groups um, that we think of. And I think the big distinction is that service animals can only be now under the Americans with Disabilities Act can only be a dog or a miniature horse under 100 pounds. And that's really significant because before that change, which I can't remember, Denise, if that was 2008 or 2009 when the ADA came out when they revised the ADA, which was a big deal um, to actually do that and make that clarification. But I know I was thinking about our work together and this policy and especially around emotional support animals because that is where it gets really confusing for a lot of people because as Denise mentioned, it can be lots of different types of animals fall into that. And I, I know a lot of us saw the story about the woman at the airport that was trying to travel with a peacock. Right. And so that has had an impact. And I know two airlines since then, companies have come out and changed their policies around that. So I think in the United States, at least, we're still trying to figure this out and really still trying to understand what works, what people's needs truly are. So I do want to ask Denise, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the show how it's good advocacy practice to believe survivors when they tell you their animal is a service animal. But realistically, we know that survivors may be confused about those definitions and they may think they have a service animal when in fact they have an emotional support or a companion animal. So if that's the case and they do go into a shelter, what happens if there start to be issues? If the dog really isn't trained and there are behavioral or other issues, what happens then, Denise? Right. So there are rights and responsibilities that shelters have to their other residents and their staff that really fall under safety. So the phrase that we often use in the domestic violence field is to start by believing, whether that's someone disclosing an abuse history or current issues that we we start by believing and we do the same when a survivor comes in with an animal that they say is a service animal. And I'm glad that you brought it up that sometimes people don't know themselves the difference. They know that their dog makes them feel better and they think that that then qualifies them as a service animal. So I think it's very important that we suspend judgment that sometimes people are, and I actually feel that the vast majority of the time, rather than experiencing people fake vesting their dogs and trying to pass them off as service animals, what I have noticed more being in this field is that people are legitimately not clear themselves as to if their animal would fall under emotional support animal or service animal work often. So what we would do as a domestic violence program and advocates and what we recommend is you start by believing. You have the two questions that you can ask to help understand if it's a service animal or and an emotional support animal would also have access to the shelter. If the animal then is in the shelter or in the program, but it's causing safety issues for the program, then the program can ask the animal to be removed, but the survivor can never be asked to leave him or herself. So the animal, if it's being a safety risk, can be asked to leave. And then we would recommend that advocates work with the survivor to find an appropriate and safe place for that animal to be. But it's very important that 
And this goes for businesses too, that businesses cannot ask the service animal handler to leave their business. But if the service animal, for whatever reason, might be having a a rough day and is not under control, then that animal can be asked to leave. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. And it's really, that's a rare situation, I think, because, you know, it has to be pretty extreme, I think, that again, as you said, safety issue. And that's really important for us to keep in mind that if it's jeopardizing the safety of other people in the shelter or in a business, or if it's acting aggressive or, you know, really inappropriate, and that's very unlikely for a service animal to be behaving that way has to be something really extraordinary going on. And I love in the policy too, where you guys really put that in there to not be quick to judge if something has happened, because I know, you know, if someone is a survivor of domestic violence and they've had to leave their home really quickly and abruptly, and they do have their dog with them and their, their assistance dog or emotional support dog, and they're in a stressful situation, I know that dog is going to be stressed out too. If that were me, I know Lovey would be stressed out. So I think it's really important not to be judgmental and for staff to talk to the person first and see what's going on. And I love how you guys mentioned that in the policy and really encourage people not to judge that there may be other things going on and to ask first before you take some kind of harsh, harsh action like asking them to remove the dog. Exactly. And I think I'm glad that you brought that up, Marcy, because it's good to keep in mind that service dogs, often their alerts might look to someone that is unaware, might look like the dog is not listening or is out of control. But maybe the dog jumping on the person's lap or poking them with their nose on their handler, that could be a medical alert. So it's very important that you don't jump to conclusions. And a lot of times programs are worried about, well, what if other people in the shelter are scared of that animal? or just scared of animals in general. But really, again, the only way that the animal could be asked to leave if it is presenting an actual safety threat to others. So that is important. And also, like you said, it's incredibly rare that service animals are, they're highly trained. So it's incredibly rare that they would be acting up. But again, in a stressful situation, they might be picking up on that. And a handler also always gets the chance to get the dog under control first. So I think you're right to admonish people to not jump to conclusions. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's so important, and I love that you brought that up about that individual who may be in a domestic violence situation and in a shelter is still the handler of that dog, and as part of empowering and supporting that person is supporting them to be in control of that dog, so it's just so awesome, and and I know we only have a couple of seconds left, but I do want to ask you, Shauna, and just touch on really quickly companion animals or pets, and I know that's something that not all shelters are equipped to provide services for. But if you could just quickly share with us about the care program that you work with here in New Mexico and what it does. Absolutely. So I think just very quickly, it's, it's really important for people to understand that there's a high percentage of victims of domestic violence that will not leave the situation they're in because of their companion animal. So what this uh, New Mexico did is we actually got some legislation passed where we received some funding to develop a program. It's the CARE program, uh, Companion Animal Rescue Effort. And what the CARE program does is it provides temporary housing 
uh, for the companion animals of individuals that are seeking shelter. So the organization that runs the care program, Animal Protection of New Mexico, they actually have a network of foster homes and kennels and boarding facilities that will take in the companion animal uh, while the individual is seeking uh, refuge in the shelter. And then once they find adequate housing, they're able to get their companion animals back. And so, as I said before, this large percentage of people that won't leave the situation they're in out of fear that their animal will be hurt or they don't want to leave their animal in the first place, they have this um, wonderful resource that they can turn to. That's so great. Well, and tell us, Shauna, how can our listeners, if they want to get a copy of the policy that you guys drafted in case they want to do that work in their own communities, how can they get more information about the policy? And also, just really quickly, you guys did a really great video that goes along with the policy. So how could they access a copy of the policy and the video? Absolutely. So um, what they can do is they can go onto our website, the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. That website is www.nmcadv.org. And right there on our homepage, um, they'll see the video that we developed, um, as well as they'll have access to that document to use. Wonderful. Well, and I do just want to really mention and and really take a moment to share with our listeners that if you are experiencing domestic violence and you want to talk to somebody about that, Shauna, where could our listeners go for help? So there's a national domestic violence hotline. That hotline number is 1-800-799-7233. That's a 24-7 hotline that they can access in most states probably all states, have domestic violence um, shelters and programs that this National Domestic Violence Hotline can refer them to. Wonderful. Well, we hope none of our listeners are experiencing that, but if they are, we really encourage you to reach out and to know that shelters are becoming more familiar with assistance animals. And really, if you have those needs, you certainly can communicate that. And we encourage you to to be clear about your need for your dog and what your dog does for you. So, Just can't thank you two enough for being with us today and talking about this really sensitive topic, but I'm so glad that we are talking about it and that there are things like this policy and video now available for people and really want to support each other and other communities to do the same work. So thank you guys so much for being with us today. Thank you, Marcy, for having me. Yes, thank you. Awesome. Well, and thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love to hear from you. So please, let's stay connected. And you know that you can send any questions, comments, or ideas for future shows to me by email. And that's Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And you know you can also follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're having so much fun connecting with you on Instagram. Lovey and I adore seeing photos of your working dogs and the incredible work that they're doing every day. So thank you so much for being with us and take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.